Welcome to Gavia. So today we are talking about Amazon Unbound by Brad Stone. Subtitle, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of a Global Empire. We've talked about a number of the members of the Billionaire Boys Club. That, well, that's not to be confused with the actual Billionaire Boys Club, which was a club of young investors in California, I think, who ended up killing somebody. <laughs> so it's not them. I mean, just the innovators, the big-time innovators. Musk, Jobs, Gates, and Bezos. We read a book on Elon Musk. We read a book on Steve Jobs and now Jeff Bezos. The other one I kind of put in this category is Bill Gates. But when it comes to innovators, there are kind of two distinct sides. (laughs) There's the uh, Musk Jobs on one side and then there's kind of the Gates Bezos on the other side. I mean, Musk himself is like a, a primate deity. He revolutionized electric cars. He's revolutionizing rocket science. He wants to build a Colony on Mars. Steve Jobs revolutionized communication and married art and science. Gates kind of uh, sold a lot of mediocre products, and Bezos facilitated the sale of a lot of mediocre products. And Gates just seems like kind of a horrible human being, but Jeff Bezos, at least he built something massive, even if its ultimate value is kind of suspect. So as always, we will go through the contents of the book, we will do a bit of analysis, talk about how good or bad the book was, and then we're going to tie it into a big picture idea of the world and what we should do going forward. So, the contents. It talks about how Amazon was built early on, you know, the business and technical decisions that undergirded the development of the infrastructure that would become the behemoth that is Amazon. And some of that was uh, somewhat interesting. There there was discussion of a lot of the technologies that they got into over time. That was one thing that they were willing to do is dive into something they thought was going to be a new area. And stuff that they did, like the Fire Phone, you remember the 3D screen on the Fire Phone, you know, that wasn't taken up so quickly by the general population. There was the Echo, which actually has, it was originally called the Flash, but it became the Echo and they had to change all the branding like right before release. The name was changed so close to the release that they weren't able to produce all the new packaging for it. So it went out in blank boxes. But anyway, the Echo, I mean, I have two of them. I have, I don't think I've ever used either one. (laughs) I think they're in a box somewhere. But I know lots of people who use their Amazon Echoes. There was one incident that was uh, recalled in the book that talked about how somebody's conversation was recorded and accidentally sent to somebody in their address book at one point, which is a, you know, kind of scandalous. Obviously, you don't want your little smart speaker recording everything you say and sending it to random people. Then we have some of the discussion about the infrastructure they're developing around the world. So like what went into Amazon India and all the people who were involved in that, how much work it took, how many entrepreneurs were involved in kind of developing Amazon India. There's some talk about what was going on in Mexico. There was actually, this was, uh, so there's this issue with the uh, former Amazon CEO. He actually had been accused of beating his wife, and this was in Mexico City, had been accused of beating his wife with a bat. And so this was a serious thing, obviously. She filed for divorce, and then one day when she had arrived in Mexico City for a hearing, somebody drove up on a a motorcycle and shot her to death. And days later, the former Amazon CEO was found trying to leave Mexico. But as far as I know, and I I looked up more information on this guy just uh, today, and I couldn't find that he had ever been found. I, I don't think he's ever been caught. But they believe that he put out a hit on his ex-wife, a successful hit, and they caught the guys who were involved in it. So there you go, Amazon. 
Then there's some discussion about AWS, the Amazon Web Services, and how much of a success that actually is when it comes to the proportion of profits that it actually makes. The AWS service is a huge success. And early on, Bezos and the team actually specifically hid how successful AWS was because they didn't want their competitors to jump into it. There's some discussion of the Washington Post and when Bezos bought the Washington Post, which is, of course, especially salient now because you have Elon Musk purchasing Twitter and there is a general widespread outrage related to a billionaire having so much control over how we speak to one another. Whereas when the Washington Post was purchased, there didn't seem to be the sim- a similar outrage of a billionaire having a major newspaper to do with as he wishes. We get into some prime video discussion and some of the hits that they've had on there, some of the successes and some of the failures. There was a a giant supposed to be rival to Lord of the Rings type project that didn't pan out that a lot of people were very much behind when prime video was was coming around. Then some, I think this was probably my favorite part of the book, was talking about trying to make sure you manage uh, how sellers work on here and how the products work on the website itself. So there were a bunch of lawsuits for faulty products. You know, that's something they were going to have to deal with, of course. But one of the big issues that they had was that they kept having these sellers popping up like crazy. And they went to visit China to kind of see, to source it, to figure out what was going on. And China, the China sellers were just, it was just like the Wild West. They had for any product that showed up on the Amazon store, then there were sellers in China that would just make a replica product and put it up for cheaper. So one of the big responsibilities, obviously, of Amazon, if they want to protect the bottom line, is to ensure that sellers feel comfortable putting their products on their store. So it was a big problem keeping sellers happy. Like for uh, one example, there was a $9, it cost $9 to make this sport coat for Abercrombie and Fitch. And then Abercrombie and Fitch would go and sell it for like $500. And the the factory itself would sell a slightly different version of the sport coat for $90 somewhere else. And there was another one where uh, Zara, the clothing, they do clothing, right? Yeah. But the same factory where they were building, where they were making, producing the stuff for Zara, they would have a side brand in the factory that was being produced. They used just a, a different portion of the factory. And those were sold on Alibaba. So the, these were huge problems when it came to being able to attract and maintain sellers and and the integrity of the products that are are on there. So they had this big conference, this fashion conference in 2016, and a lot of the attendees railed against the Chinese sellers and were saying that they would just have their products copied instantly and sold for less. And so there's this big brand registry initiative. You have to figure out ways to try to deal with this. But at the time, 49% of the top sellers uh, were from China, that were of everybody that's on Amazon. There was one high-level executive (laughs) phrase in like a memo that went out that said that Amazon's future is crap. And that was actually an acronym, but I can't remember what it stands for. (laughs) But anyway, so around this time, they were talking about the company Whole Foods because Amazon was considering getting into the grocery business. They wanted to do direct deliveries of groceries. But so the Whole Foods, uh, they had the CEO who had, you know, his vision for the company, for Whole Foods. And it was going to be committed to health. He was always committed to health. But at the time, they had this really stagnant business. They weren't getting anywhere. He refused to do frequent shopper programs. They had this weird dual CEO situation initially. It got to the point where investment firms sent letters to Whole Foods to tell them that they're just running the company wrong, that it's not going well and they need to do something. 
So, like I said, Amazon had these plans for a national grocery service, and Amazon Fresh came out in 2007, which envisioned direct home delivery of groceries, and one of the biggest problems at the beginning was just the limits geographically to how much they could do. But one of the reasons they wanted to do this was because the products that are hard to ship are the ones that are more difficult to make money on. So things that are large or unwieldy or weird shapes, those are the ones that are more difficult to make money on, to make a profit from. And they realized that the biggest retailers in the country were grocery stores by volume. So they wanted to figure out a way to get into that. So Instacart arose around 2012 and Google had their own Google Shopping Express around that time as well. And they both were trying to do the same day delivery of groceries. So one of the problems for Amazon was that those two were too large. Instacart wasn't selling. Google was way too big to be able to just purchase that. Previously, what they would do is if there was a company that did a product better than Amazon could then they would just buy out that company and then you know use them under their brand so that that's what happened to zappos the shoe company but you couldn't do that with google <laughs> so amazon starts you know this is um one of the main things that have has arisen is amazon making their own products they have the amazon basics versions of a lot of the products but the big uh, trade-off with that one of the big issues is that well you have to make a good product obviously but if you saturate the market with your products then you're pushing sellers off of your website which is you know increasing your your bottom line and your exposure just in general because if they go somewhere else you just don't get that anymore so one of the things they had to do is try to limit the amount of the proportion of the market that they actually took with their amazon basics products one, they had this big issue with diapers, diapers that just didn't work, and people were really mad about it when they came out there, Amazon Basics pro- diapers. And there was another one that was like a Bezos brainchild, it was something that he was really invested in. It was a single cow burger. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out what the thought process was behind this. So the problem was somebody made this uh, presentation for Bezos that said that most of the burgers that you eat are like a combination of a thousand different cows. And so this is an issue. Now, from what I could glean, it, it had an impact on the taste or the quality of the burger because it's coming from so many different cows. So what they want to do was create a single cow burger. So it's a burger that comes from one cow and this is supposed to increase the, the value and quality of it. So when they initially made it, they had this hard-to-peel packaging. That was an issue. There was too much fat in the burgers. So when you go try to grill them, and I've had this this problem before, when you go try to grill them, then the fat runs down to the bottom and creates this big, you know, a bunch of fire and throws off your whole cooking so Bezos, you know, demanded a bunch of changes. They worked backwards from what Bezos's intuition said about what a good product would be. And that was just a failure. You know, it didn't go anywhere. Nobody wanted a single cow burger. And like I said, I just, I can't even figure out how you sell that thing to people. What is really the benefit of the single cow burger? There just doesn't seem to be enough of an idea behind that to mean anything. Around 2017, we have the Whole Foods acquisition. So they they buy out Whole Foods and they change some stuff in there. They have some kind of discounts for Prime members. They implement the lockers there, the Amazon lockers. Anyway, then we get into some discussions about the. It's called the Last Mile, and it's talking about the logistics around the warehouses and where you build the fulfillment centers, and you know how they end up in remote areas and why, and how Amazon around this time is being called Heart 
heartless when it comes to safety. A lot of people were criticizing it for not taking enough safety measures for employees, but there was this problem related to like truck drivers versus employees who are in the warehouses because you can't have the same standards for contract truck drivers as you do for employees. So that was a whole thing. And issues with the holiday peak season, you have this volume increase dramatically during the holiday peak season uh, that you have to hire for and be able to take care of. And so that was a big issue. They acquired Kiva, which was a robotics company, and have since implemented that into some of their warehouses. So you have robots that are going and getting boxes and sorting boxes and that sort of thing. They pick up a lot of non-union drivers trying to evade unionization and hiring union drivers specifically for their Amazon logistics. And so that all that aspect of the company is developing over this time, which is honestly, it's all that stuff that is what where the real innovation lied when it came to Amazon. It's not like they figured out how to make the best paperclip, you know. It was just uh, when it comes to logistics of behind all this stuff, this is where their innovation lied. And then we got a discussion about Blue Origin, where which is the space company. Bezos wants to be able to go to space, and he actually gave Elon Musk a tour of their of the Blue Origin facilities, and he hit a bunch of stuff, so Musk wouldn't see it when he was there. But that's still that's still going. HQ2, remember this headquarters two for Amazon was a a big thing for a while there. There were a whole bunch of candidates for cities that they went through. They did a very meticulous method of figuring this out. There was some tension between management and the people uh, like the underlings who were doing all these calculations related to the benefits of different cities. But they were having problems like Seattle. They had this problem of a one bedroom apartment. The average rent increased sixty seven percent from two thousand thirteen to. 2017. So they decided, okay, we need to find somewhere else. And there were details about all the elaborate presentations and benefits that would be given to Amazon by the mayors and things of these various cities. And one of the leading contenders toward the end, and actually their initial choice, was in New York, of course, and it was right in AOC's district. But there was an outcry about the tax breaks that they were going to get, which is shockingly stupid. It's one of those things where you just you pull your mouth off the holster and just start shooting because you don't really know what you're talking about. And that was cited as one of the reasons that they decided not to to build in that area in New York, which would have been 25,000 new jobs, and instead went to Arlington, Virginia, which is where they are currently doing that project. So after that, we get some uh, personal life talk about Lauren Sanchez, which is the one-time mistress and now girlfriend of Jeff Bezos. Uh, apparently, they've been seen in various places uh, doing their thing. She is apparently a pretty interesting human being. <laughs> She's very accomplished and has a really particular personality. And so, you know, Bezos went through his divorce now, as far as I know, and he's just with Lauren Sanchez. But there were a whole bunch of background facts where they all kinds of great gossip, like her brother apparently was this very conservative operative or he worked he was like an agent or something for conservative personalities and Bezos would send lurid texts and pictures to Lauren Sanchez and she'd forward them to to her brother and uh, it became this whole scandal thing I don't know uh, how you end up in a healthy you know relationship after that but uh, when it comes to what does he care when it comes to money he's got it more than he'll ever need so I guess why does he care just stick with the girl who you went through that with 
And then we get some talk of Trump contra Amazon. So this is the Trump years and how often Trump was attacking Amazon. And this is where if the author hadn't shown his cards yet, I mean, it certainly shows them now. And I genuinely, I don't trust anybody anymore who's just reflexively anti-Trump. What they they use this dismissive language is like it's all already been settled. And look, I'm I'm the right kind of person, right? To give me some kind of support for saying these ad hominems about uh, Trump before we even get to the substance of what we're talking about. So the author talks about the dubious assertion that Bezos was using the Washington Post to further his political agenda as opposed to just using it as a a completely neutral source of the news. Yeah, sure. Locating any truth with Trump was difficult. There was this issue between uh, the post office and Amazon, where Amazon was being paid by the post office for this particular kind of contract, and Trump was saying that it was way too cheap and that he demanded they double the prices, the post office double the prices that they were charging Amazon. And the author suggested there was an independent commission who sets the prices, which struck me as a little odd. Why would there be an independent commission setting the prices? Why wouldn't it be negotiated between the parties for the economic advantage of both the parties but anyway so trump commissioned his own group apparently and the group recommended a modest increase in the prices but not as much as trump wanted so the author goes through this and suggests that by purchasing the washington post that jeff bezos had alienated an impetuous man and it's a lot of these you know these kinds of childish pejoratives uh, when it comes to trump And Amazon, as a result of something Trump did, lost a $10 billion contract. And what is hilarious to me is that the author can't imagine a billionaire using a newspaper to further their own interests, despite despite the newspaper itself being so obviously one-sided politically. You wouldn't think that any of that seeped into it. It's it's just a curious stance. And that's what I, I mean when it comes to this. It's as if just plain old common sense has been forbidden. It's not even that it gets challenged or pushed against. It's forbidden if you're talking about certain people or certain things. It's like you can't think just logically or in an obvious way when it comes to those. You have to push as hard as you can in the other direction. Like it's so out there that the newspaper that is insanely anti-Trump and the owner, billionaire owner of it has, you know, major conflict with, with Donald Trump, that those two things wouldn't be correlated. That's hilarious. Anyway. So then there's some talk about a response to COVID because COVID happened in the interim and Amazon did a ton of things and it makes sense because Amazon benefited tremendously from everything related to COVID. So they installed these proximity cameras that would put circles around, you know, like six foot circles around each of the employees and anytime they got close to each other, then they would turn red. So they'd be green if you're far enough, but if you got too close, they would turn red to indicate that you shouldn't be walking that close to somebody. They had temperature checks on the way in that would verify that you weren't running a fever. They bought tons and tons of masks and handed them out to employees. They got hospital-grade disinfectant that they were spraying all over. You know, people in suits going around spraying this disinfectant around the premises. They even had robots that would go around in, in Whole Foods and spray UV light that was discontinued when they the word came out that it didn't stay much on surfaces. And then there was a, a discussion because initially there were some workers who were frustrated with the lack of compliance with a lot of these measures. And then there were other workers who were you know, trying to unionize and saying they weren't paid enough and, and trying to collectively challenge the practices of Amazon. So a whole bunch of them were fired just over the course. And every time they would say it was for a particular reason, you know, violating this policy or that policy or whatever. So there was some controversy around it because it seemed like Amazon was trying to prevent workers from getting better pay in terms of employment. 
So then, after all this, after all the back and forth and everything, we have the Bezos retirement. He decides that he is just going to bow out of the whole deal and just kind of cavort around the world with his girlfriend for the next 40 years. And I will say one thing, at least he lifts. Uh, we've, we've seen it. He's in pretty good shape, so I applaud that. So that's the book. What is the analysis? Uh, the analysis is Amazon is the most boring of world-altering advancements. It's the largest middleman. Obviously, it lowered prices and made many more things much more available to more people. But ultimately, how much does it accomplish relative to kinds of other accomplishments out there in the world? It was more interesting for me to get into the weeds of logistics, you know, the individual warehouses and how they work with personnel and the hiring practices and kind of the macro scale of everything they had to deal with when they're going into India and having to deal with sellers and making sellers happy and all that. That was the most interesting stuff to me. But I was mostly bored, and I think it's more the subject than it was the writing. So There were so many high-profile failures that didn't advance much of anything, you know, like the Fire Phone and the self-checkout stores, which I've used, and they were fine, you know, it was fine. But still, a lot of the things just kind of seem in the background that they put so much work into. And obviously, any large corporation is going to have a, a million failures in its wake, a graveyard of attempted new technologies. But still, it, it kind of felt more boring in a way because it didn't seem like they were accomplishing all that much. I mean, Alexa itself was was a hit. I think more people, many more people use Alexa than use Siri, as far as I know. At least in my immediate experience, more people use Alexa on a regular basis than use Siri. They ask Alexa questions and interact with it and, you know, use it to add to their shopping list and that kind of stuff uh, way more often than they use Siri. So big picture wise, Tesla and SpaceX and Apple kind of have stories. You know, their founders were visionaries. They were driven. They were committed. The relative accomplishments are kind of a fundamental difference. There's this romantic dream to advance civilization and inspire generations versus parasitic, just give me the money you would have spent on a similar product anyway. And I'm sure sir, that's probably too harsh on Amazon and Jeff Bezos. The infrastructure itself is incredible. They're advancing AI. They have their web services. The Washington Post is a trash heap, but still they, they did some other things. But to me, Bezos isn't an inspiration. He's more of kind of a cautionary tale that one should have higher principles than the acquisition of great wealth. So anyway, that's that's the book. That's the discussion. Uh, recently, I've been reading some of Nabokov's books, his other books that I hadn't read before. And a friend of mine was talking about tailoring books you read to the atmosphere of an area that you're in and reading it there and for some reason this just sounds awesome to me <laughs> and I don't know how I can make that a series like to go to places that reflect the atmosphere in the book that you're reading but I'm, I'm gonna try to figure it out <laughs> we still have the effective the fourth part of the effective neuroscience coming out the YouTube I just finally got it up to date as of May 20th, it'll be up to date, and then I can start doing the episodes on a regular basis after that. It's great because I get to go through the comments every so often to see what everybody's saying about the different books, and that has been hugely rewarding, reading those comments. So anyway, I want to thank you very much for listening to this one, and hopefully you'll I'll see you on the next one coming out, and we're going to get some more episodes plugged in here. So I hope all is well. All right, bye. Bye. <music>